You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Before we get into today's episode, if you really like the GTKY concept of connections before content, but you thought to yourself, where do I get those good questions at? And you're thinking, well, I'm still doing virtual teaching versus in-person teaching, and I just want to connect with my kids, but I'm not sure what questions to ask. What we've done for you is created a free resource of 25 GTKY questions that you can immediately download and go back into your virtual setting or your in-person classroom setting to make a difference of getting to know your students before you dive into the content. All you have to do is head over to our website at RCL. F-I-R-S-T.com, sign up for our newsletter, and you will get immediate access to 25 GTKY questions that you can go back into the classroom and start putting connections before content. So let's get right back into the show. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. On today's episode, I sit down and interview teacher Trevor Taylor, a local San Antonio teacher and activist that has been featured in numerous San Antonio news outlets for organizing, inspiring, peaceful Black Lives Matter protests. Trevor shares his why and wanting to come back and be a teacher on the same high school campus that he graduated from, along with many other great moments on the importance of building relationships with students. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I'm blessed today to have an amazing teacher, Trevor Taylor, on the show. Welcome, Trevor. Hey, how you doing? Good, man. I'm uh, glad to finally get a chance to uh, break down this conversation with you. And as we start every episode, we always start in what we call connections before content. We always do that in what we call the GTKY format that simply get to know you. So I do five questions for you, Trevor, and then you flip five back at me to get to know me a little bit better. And that way we model for teachers reminding them to make connections before they dive into the content. So question number one, Trevor, if we were to look at your playlist what would be a song that would be on your on, on your playlist on your phone or or tablet that we would pretty much represent what you like to listen to oh man that question is tough uh, primarily because i've been listening to music my whole life um and now i'm on the side of being a teacher i'm a dj so uh, my music library is hefty but i think if i had to choose one song Oh man, that oh god! I would maybe lean more towards uh, like Erica Badu, man. I think uh, maybe like Bag Lady, crazy. But I grew up listening to Erica Badu. I love her music. Her lyrics are amazing, and she talks about all the things that you carry. Um, throughout life and I feel like for me I've always had to kind of sort through all the things I was going to carry what things I had to let go of so uh, when I think about my own life and what playlist I might want to start or if I had my personal playlist and the first song I want to hear it would probably be like Bag Lady by Erica Badu. That's that's interesting. And, and and again, we're just getting to know each other. But as I'm listening to you, I was also a DJ 
And so my, wow, okay. my, fir- my first, I would call it self-employed job back in high school. When I was a senior, I was actually DJing back then. But right. it looks much different than you do with technology and audio now. I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking I had to carry records around, cassettes, yeah. turntables. I had the 1200s, um, right. lug my, my own equipment around. So yeah. much like you, my, my, my playlist could go from Christian to country to rock to NWA. I mean, it, it's all over the right. place. Um, <laughs> but I'm like you, I love and uh, appreciate music for what it brings. And um, I believe being a DJ for me was probably one of the most beneficial things to teach me about music and culture. So um, good, good response. Right off the bat, I'm getting to know you even better. Uh, number two, number two, thinking about pets. Have you owned, do you, have you owned any pets? I've got two dogs right here next to me. There you go. So what's their names? Ace and Lily Jane. What kind of breed are they? Uh, Ace is a Hound Shepherd mix. He's six years old. And then Lily Jane is a two-year-old Doberman. Gotcha. Oh, man, that's awesome. I'm a dog person too, man. I love dogs. I've got three Australian Shepherds. They're, they're, they're kind of miniature. They're, so they're smaller than the standard breed. But yeah, uh, Kayla, Casey, and Cade. I got two girls and a boy. And so one's uh, like 16 months. The other one is like uh, 13 months. And the other one is only like uh, seven months. The boy, I just got the boy. I just got Cade in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, needed a little bit more testosterone to balance out the two girls. Right. So, uh, <laughs> but yes. All right. So question number three, you, you told me a little bit about this earlier. So, Mountains or beach? Oh, mountains. Easily mountains. Okay. All right. Good. Number four. What's your favorite meal? My favorite meal will have to be my mom's meatloaf. And it has to be hers. It cannot be anybody else's. It can't be any restaurant. It is something that she has to make alongside corn on the cob and her mashed potatoes. You just made me hungry right there, brother. I mean, <laughs> and I love that. I love that you emphasize it has to be your mom's, right? Oh yeah. Okay. So, last simple question is: Growing up, what was your like favorite thing to do outside? Mm, I was always outside doing something, uh, but I think my favorite had to be uh, just being with friends on some type of wheel. Whether I was I was on a bike, I was rollerblading, I was skateboarding, um, it had to be in some way, shape, or form with friends, and we were rolling, literally, bro. Literally, I love it. All right, man, hit me with some good questions. Get to know me. Okay, what was your dream job growing up? My dream job growing up, I I knew in fourth grade I wanted to be a teacher. But I also, I, I'm not talented, like I couldn't sing or really dance, but I wanted to be an entertainer, but I don't know why I wanted to be an entertainer. So like my dream job would have been being an entertainer uh, of some form. I loved Elvis Presley growing up. So I, I probably would have said I wanted to be something like Elvis, but in addition, I've always knew I wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> Settled. <All right. laughs> okay. Okay. My next question for you. If you could bring back any style of clothing what would it be and why oh wow that's a really interesting question um style of clothing <laughs> there's you know because i you know I, I, i'm 50 and i was born in 69 and i've seen the 70s i've seen the 80s 
I would not bring back the seventies. I don't think the short shorts and, you know, even the beginning, I don't know, man, that's a tough one. I, I don't know if there's a style that I would bring back to be honest with you. <laughs> so I'm going to be honest. I don't know if there's a style. I think there may be certain aspects, but I, I'm, I'm good with the styles going behind in the rear view mirror. I, I'll, I'll own that. Right. One. Okay. Okay. I, I'm looking at some of, the, some of the older styles and even though that they're coming back a little bit, I do see why some of them are like, all right, we should leave that one behind. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Okay, if you had to write an autobiography, what would the title be? Oh, easy. I already know this one. Birdie to Bogey. Birdie to Bogey. Yeah, so if you're not a golf person, let me just tell you that. I, and, and it's funny. Somebody, another guest asked me that in the middle of these one time. And the um, Birdie to Bogey. In other words, you know, I'll hit a shot up on the green. And let's say it's a par four. You're, you're, on, in, mm-hmm. you're on in two. You're, all you have to do is make this five-foot putt. Whatever it is, ten foot putt. It's it seems reasonable for a birdie, and the next thing you know, you three putt, and that's what yep. life is. That's what life is like, right? And so that's yeah, why I always say, definitely. birdie to bogey autobiography title. Okay, I like that. All right, coffee or tea? Neither one. I don't drink either one. Don't like the flavor of either one. Even though I'm from South Central Texas, man, I did not grow up iced tea. I just didn't like the flavor of tea. And I've never been a coffee drinker. Um, I rarely drink caffeine. I drink night water mm-hmm. 90% of the time. If I, I'll drink a soda every once in a while. Don't get me wrong. But, um, uh, but no, man, uh, I can't do the coffee thing. I've tried it. Chocolate, caramel, vanilla. Um, I, I, I like the front taste. I call it the back on the back of my tongue. I, I call it bitter. I don't know what else to describe it. But yeah, man, yeah. I, I'm envious of those coffee people that like their life surrounds coffee and their day surrounds coffee. And I'm like, uh, water. Uh, I, don't, I don't drink either one. Good question. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, I, I love the smell of coffee. I don't think many people in the world would actually say that they don't like the smell of coffee. But the taste itself is just something I have not gotten to the point in which I'm a fan of. Wow, you and I are very cut from the same cloth because I adore yeah. the smell of it. Oh, the aroma? Oh, mm-hmm. it, it, it is. The aroma is just something that's almost intoxicating. And that's why I say Definitely. I wish I could partake in that aroma. But yeah, I'm with you. Can't taste it. <laughs> okay. And you are a dog person. Yes. So what breed of dog would you be? Ooh, okay. Um, I think I would go with the Australian Shepherd. And here's the deal. We mentioned this before the show. When I lived in Colorado in the mid-90s, I actually, that was my first introduction into an Australian Shepherd. His name was Baylor. And when we would go in the mountains, it was the only dog that I didn't even need a leash and I didn't even do any formal training on this dog. Like he was so smart and so loyal. And uh, unfortunately I only had him for 10 months and Mm -hmm. an accident took him. And so when I was coming back into looking for some new dogs, I decided to go with the same breed, but a little bit smaller. And yeah, man, uh, they're, they're loyal. They're hard workers. They're so super smart. So I'd have to say Australian shepherd. Nice. I think that was all fun, right? Yeah, that was it, brother. Well, just like we do. I like the fact that I was going to say that dog's name was Baylor. So I was already in love with that dog because that's where I went to school. Oh, see, right then and there when you went to school. (laughs) That's why I'm laughing. Um, I think some teachers sometimes underestimate the power of a simple GTKY question. It, it, It can really open 
so many doors. And for our listeners, they didn't get to hear this, but you know, I'm really excited to do this interview with the day because I don't know a whole lot about you. And that's what's really interesting. And I wish the people could be inside my mind right now because as I'm interviewing on the podcast, I'm already thinking so much about who you are just by the first five questions, how we've interacted. Mm-hmm. And I, I think teachers could grow from this model and learn from this model to just GTKY connect before you get into the content because it sets a tone and it also just lets us know where our differences are or where our similarities are. And for us in the classroom, it's so important to do that. So Trevor, you're a teacher. Where are you currently teaching and what are you currently teaching? I'm teaching at Karen Wagner High School here in San Antonio. Uh, It's actually the school I graduated from. And I'm teaching English four as of this year. Congratulations. That's awesome to come back to your own high school. Um, I graduated on the other side of town to John Jay High School. I didn't get to teach there. I just got to substitute teach. And I will tell you, coming back to your old campus, that was a, there, was, there was a lot of different feelings and memories. What was it like when you first came back to Wagner to teach? Like, what was that feeling like? The initial feeling, it was a dream come true because that's all I wanted to do in college. Uh, I wanted to come back to Wagner and teach. So being hired literally a week after graduation on May 20th, it was a, you know, a dream come true to walk into the classroom and say, I know this classroom. I know this entire building. I still know a lot of the staff and faculty as much as they hated to see <laughs> their former student, now their coworker. It made them feel incredibly old. But being in the classroom with the students, was probably one of the best feelings I've had because as I got to know my students, I realized that I actually knew a lot of them way before, um, whether their uncles or their brothers, sisters, cousins, you know, were good friends of mine. I'd be over at the house and they were the little kid that couldn't come outside. They were the one in the diaper. And we started to make those connections because I'm reading off the names and the roster. And I'm like, wait a second, that last name isn't very common. Do you know so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah, that's my brother. And I'm struck and it happens every year that I teach you know I run into a new student and I realize that that I've already known them or I know their family you know and it's amazing to come back to my community and already for my students already feel like they can trust me because they've already they they feel like they know me because they whether they've been to my track meets or my basketball games or they've seen me around, or their brothers or sisters say, oh, man, you've got Mr. Taylor, you're going to love him. It's just an amazing feeling. Mm. So real simple question, how many years have you been teaching now? This is going to be my fourth year teaching. Okay, going into fourth year. So when you, when you think about everything that you just described, what made you want to come back to Wagner? So like, it sounds like this was in your mind, and I'm, 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 I'm guessing, but it's like, this is the path that you wanted. You, you were like, I want to come back here and teach. What was the strong feeling that was pulling you back to come back there? So growing up uh, on this side of town, we have not had many, uh, I guess, positive influences around us. You know, um, a lot of us grow up without fathers or we grow up in low socioeconomic environments. Um, A lot of us are put in disadvantages and the representation uh, for students who looked like myself at the time was not there. Uh, Our administration looks like us, but in regards to educators, there weren't many. Uh, We know that in America, a lot of teachers 
are women first of all and that's great but sometimes a young man needs to talk with another man and sometimes the only man that they know of or can talk to is their coach uh, which was the case for me but I wanted to come back and be a part of the less than two percent of public teachers who are black males in America because I understood the role that I would take on being whether that was a father to the fatherless or a big brother or uh you know just a role model that people can look to and say he looks like me he comes from the same exact area that I come from endured some of the same struggles and he still made it out so I, I wanted to come back and be you know just a light to to my community and allow the students who look like me and grew up in the same neighborhoods and walked the same halls to know that I made it out and they can too. What a powerful testimony and message to those students that you are going to be impacting as you've come full circle back into your community. So as you were growing up in that community, what were some of the challenges you found just as a student? Uh, man, as a student, I was misunderstood. Um, and I'm glad that we're talking about relationships and learning because a lot of times that does not happen, especially in this area. Uh, I felt like I didn't really build a strong connection with a lot of my teachers because they just didn't take the time to get to know me. It was more about, you know, I got to teach to the peaks and I've got to get this uh, content done. So we're just going to hit the ground running with lessons rather than ever really knowing who I was or, you know, trying to get to understand me. And one of the struggles that I dealt with was uh, we would have some hardships, you know, whether that was just in the neighborhood or at the house um, and having to come to school and for my teachers to expect me as a 14, 15, 16 year old to put those things aside and walk through the doors as if nothing was going on outside. It was difficult and it was truly, you know, um, it was unrealistic to believe that a student could come in after having, you know, some traumatic situations occur and then take all those things and put them aside and say, okay, now it's time for me to learn. So for me, I'd make it a huge, huge deal to ask my students how they're doing, but not in a service level. You know, if I see students are struggling in class, I'll pull them aside and say, like, hey, man, how are you doing? You know, as a human, not as a student, not as an athlete. How are you doing as a human? Like, is life okay? Are, are you mentally okay? Are emotionally, are you stable? Do you need to just take some time away? Do you need to talk with someone? I try to do everything that some of my teachers did, and I try to do the opposite of what a lot of my teachers did not do. And that's just really get to know my students and let them know that I care about them outside of their grades, outside of their behavior, but just simply human to human. Yeah. Another thing I think that you and I have in common is as I approached my own educational career, my philosophy was much like yours. I said I had good teachers and bad. I had good coaches and bad. And I said somewhere in between there, I need to find out who I am and who I'm going to be for these students because I know I've had some negative experiences just like you had with teachers and even coaches. And I knew that I wanted to make a difference. And so I, I needed to intentionally avoid certain strategies and certain things that I thought were ineffective. And so as, as you've entered the classroom now, you just touched on it. I feel teachers sometimes think this is too hard 
And so, uh, you know, I, I, we, we'll talk a little bit about all the pressure points, but sometimes they're like, this is very difficult to know the students today. So when you hear that from a teacher and they, they just say, hey, Trevor, but it's so hard. And again, I don't, I believe everybody has different levels of vulnerability and different comfort levels. And the one thing that I love to, to preach and teach is differentiation. We should not be a cookie cutter. You know, right. there is one Trevor Taylor and he is going to be the way he needs to be. But what can we learn from you when you talk about when you hear teachers say, but it's hard to get to know these kids these days? What would be just a general response to that? My question would be that the students actually know you. Well, because said. if you're on if you're on to open up and be vulnerable with the students, then they're going to do the exact same. They're going to be hesitant or reluctant to, you know, let you know anything about them. So one thing I do on the first week of school, usually the first day. Uh, it's, hey, we'll talk about this tomorrow. Today, I want to get, I want to allow you all to know who I am. And I show them uh, a slideshow or videos of me doing things that I like to do outside of teaching because a lot of students come in and think like my teachers don't have a life outside of teaching, right? They think we live at the school, which in a lot of cases, <laughs> it feels like that, you know? So I show them pictures of me, you know, bouldering or, uh, you know, hiking mountains and, hanging out with my dogs and being with my friends and, you know, uh, with family. And I talk about my hobbies and my interests and I let them know that I am more than a teacher and that they are more than a student. So for those who say I have a hard time getting to know my students, I I have to ask, like, do the students know you? And if they don't, then that's where it needs to start. Wow. There's a little mic drop moment there early, Trevor. Um, (laughs) No, I love it. Uh, I, I, I listen for those types of things and when you responded with that, even though you, you extended on it, I mean, you could have stopped it right there, but that was, that was right. eloquently said. We, we always talk about, um, I had a student on the other day and I, and she was talking about, we talked about accountability and when students act up and all this stuff. And I said, you know, um, her name was Mia. And I said, Mia, I wish, I, I believe when teachers are listening to you, they're like, we, well, if we had a class full of Mias, we'd love it. I said, so as a student, Mia, what do you do when the student, you call on them and you call them out for what they're doing and, but they don't own it. Right. And I said, so why do I asked her a simple question? So why do you think the students continue to deny that they do these things or say these things? And she had a mic drop moment. She said, because they don't trust you. And I was just like, what? And she was like, yeah, the reason that they don't own it is because they don't trust you because they don't know how you're going to react if they do own it or respond. And so man, that was a little quick uh, mic drop moment when she said that they don't trust you. And so how big do you believe trust has to happen in the relationship between your students and you as a teacher? I think it's one of, if not the most important thing. Uh, If you don't have trust in your classroom, then the students will not be very receptive to anything that you say. You know, and this is me saying this from a student perspective, because it was only, you know, just a few years ago, I'm only 25. I I feel like I was just a student and I'm back in the same school. So I really just feel like only a couple years passed by. Um, But if the students don't trust you, then they have a hard time believing anything that you might say, especially if it's extended outside of the content. You know, if a math teacher tries to talk about a life lesson, but they don't trust the, if the students don't trust that teacher, then the conversation is one-sided, you know. Uh, but in the, my case, as an English teacher, we have a lot of 
opportunity for conversation. But I allow my students to know that, hey, one, I'm not going to judge you and I'm not going to silence you. I do want to hear from you. And with that being said, they start to build this trust with me because I'll be vulnerable and I'll be honest with them about what I'm going through, you know, to a certain extent, obviously. But as I allow them to know more about me, they're more apt to allow me to learn more about them. Even the ones who are troubled, you know, in other classes, I might not have those same situations. And the teachers will ask, well, how is so-and-so doing in your class? I'm like, well, they're doing just fine. You know, they struggle with getting working on time, but for the most part, they participate. And they ask me how. I go, what did you do? And I'm like, well, I talk with them. I don't talk at them. You talk with them, not at them. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I'm I'm hearing a theme in and so one of the things is I'm growing this podcast area. I'm trying to be a really good listener and listening to a little bit deeper of what you're saying. And what I'm picking up so far in the in the first part of our conversation, Trevor, is I hear like modeling and reciprocation. In other words, I hear if I model this, then they and I do it genuinely, authentically, and not always surrounding the content, that the students will maybe reciprocate the same type of modeling back to you or repeat that type of relationship. So if you're vulnerable, they're vulnerable, right? If you care about them, they care about you. So I'm, I'm noticing that that's a pattern of the suggestions that you're offering on how we get to know our students and trust them in those types of things. And so that's really enlightening because I think some teachers think that it should happen automatically. You know, I'm the teacher, they should respect me, they should listen to me. And what I've told people, and again, my age at 50, I've been in education 22 years, I tell them sometimes we're stuck with a 1990 playbook in 2020. You know, we're, we're teaching from the mindset of when, what, what it used to look like in school. Does that make sense to you? Definitely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so tell me, tell me, tell me your thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, well, a lot of people, specifically those who I find to be a little stuck in their ways and a little older, have this mentality of respect is not given, it's earned. But they also, on the flip side, think that respect towards them is supposed to be given, not earned. Right? So I come into the classroom looking at my students like, I, I can't expect you to give me respect. I'm going to have to earn it from you. But at the same time, I'm going to, like, you're not, you're going to have to earn my respect as well, right? And that doesn't happen as a a conflict of, you know, let's bump heads and see who's going to give in first. It's more of, hey, I'm coming in vulnerable and you might have a wall up and that's okay because I understand. But as I give you respect, you know, then it'll be reciprocated. And it's really not just giving it's I've earned your trust. You've earned my trust. And then we can move from there. Uh, It's, you know, I go on hikes all the time. And recently, uh, while I was in Denver a couple days ago, I took a lot of my friends who have never been to Colorado, but I grew up with them, you know, all from elementary, middle school. And a lot of them don't hike. But what they had to do was they had to trust me First of all, that one, I wasn't going to kill them on a hike. (laughs) But second of all, that I was going to make sure that they enjoyed the hike and that when we got to the top, it was going to be all worth it. And as we were going along this trail, 
they began to get tired and exhausted and they needed breaks, you know, because the altitude was different and they might not be in the best shape. But I took the time to say, hey, all right, we need to take a break. We can take a break. But trust me, when we get to the top, it's going to be so worth it. Right. And there were even moments in that hike where they were hesitant to they wanted to stop. They were like, hey, man, like, I'm, I don't know if I can do this, but they trusted me. And when we got to the top, they were like, you know what? All right, man, I'm so glad we came alongside you. That same thing happened in my classroom. I know of, of the destination, right? But my students might not be aware of it. They just have to trust me along the journey and believe that I'm going to guide them in the right direction. I'm not going to lead them astray. But that happens first by relationship. I've known my friends my whole life. We've already built the relationship. My students, I don't have an entire lifetime to build a relationship and then try to lead them. It all happens simultaneously. That they're going to learn a little bit more about me. They're going to build trust in me as we continue to take baby steps in the right direction. It's a great visual. And well, it's you tied it together as as you were saying it. I'm like, oh my God, this is the same thing he's doing in the classroom. So when you said that, I'm like, yes. Um, that was a great visual analogy of how you take your students along that learning journey in the classroom. It's, it's the same thing. Cause you're right. Um, I mean, if we'd have just met and you'd be like, Hey, you want to go hiking in, in Denver? I'd have been like, um, I, um, sure. Uh, a little hesitant, <laughs> right? A little hesitant, but that's, that, that, those are really good, powerful things to think about. So four years of teaching English, can I just say, I just have to ask this question. What made you decide English? Just curious. <laughs> no, it's no judgment. Because um, I actually yeah. wanted to teach English at one point as, as, as my teaching field. But I'm just curious on what, what made you cho- chose English? Okay. So kind of backtrack to fall of 2013. My orientation date at Baylor University. Right, I'm supposed to be signing up for classes. And I went in thinking I wanted to major in clinical psychology because my mom has worked in the VA, you know, for 24 years, so pretty much my whole life. And she's been working in the psych ward for over 10 years. And I loved the stories that she came home with. And I was like, man, I really want to help people like that. But then I got to Baylor and at orientation date, I decided through a crazy series of events that I was not going to do that. I was actually going to go into education. Decided on the spot that day that, you know what, I'm going to teach. Didn't know what I was going to teach. I just was like, hey, I'm going to change everything right here, right now. I'm going to teach. And they asked me, well, what is it that you want to teach? And I did not know the answer. So I said, well, I'm good at math. I'll start with math. And when I got to campus, that first, I think, week of the fall semester, freshman year, I looked at the course map and I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to take calculus three only to teach algebra. So I said, well, let me really think to myself, what is it that I would actually enjoy teaching? And as much as I wasn't a huge fan of English as a course, I truly loved being in the class because of the discussions and the dialogue that would occur. And if the teachers that I had, you know, one specifically, Ms. D'Amico, my sophomore English teacher, she allowed her students to have a voice and we could, you know, we could talk through our traumas by writing about them in class. And she would allow us to come up and speak. And it wasn't mandatory. It was, hey, if you want to share what you wrote, you could. 
And after that, things would continue for the remainder of class. And although it might not have been exactly how she wanted to teach it, the lesson was learned, the content was there. But more importantly, we grew as teenagers, as young adults. And I thought to myself, although I was good at math, the be- the most impact that I get, whatever the, the course that had the most impact on me was English. And it has the, in my opinion, the most amount of freedom in regards to how you teach it. Math is, yeah, there's one answer. And although there might be multiple ways to find the answer, they're going to teach you one way and it has to be that way. Science, same thing. You can play around a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day, there should be one answer. History, you can learn a lot from history, but a lot of it is just dealing with the past. In English, there are no boundaries mm-hmm. to what can be discussed and read and talked about, and the connections can be made from one culture to another. One thing I love about English is that everything you read is either going to be a window into someone else's world or a mirror back at yourself. Mm. So in English, we can play around with different areas and learn a lot more about ourselves, about those around us and the world that we live in and truly have an open floor where there isn't just one answer and there isn't just one way to find that answer. So I allow my students to, you know, the opportunity to figure it out and I ask them why. And then the conversation goes wherever. Right. And so that's why I love English because uh, there's so much freedom to how you teach it and how to learn. Um, wow. You want, you make me want to be an English teacher right now. Seriously. <laughs> like that was, that was articulate, but well descriptive in the way that you explained it. Like, seriously, I was a little bit motivated. Like, dang, maybe I should have went to English. I like I did. I got British literature and a few other literatures in, and I was just like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. And I will tell you on the math thing, funniest story. So unfortunately, my advisor at UTSA did not help me out. I just graduated with a Kinesis degree and not with a second teaching field. And I hit the real world and was like, I need a PE job. And they're like, so does 1,248 other people. And I was just right. like, what? And so it was really difficult to find a job with your only PE certified at that time, not even health, just PE. So I got this job in Yorktown, Texas. And, but it was funny. They were like, Hey, in Texas, you can teach one subject out of your field of certification. They were like, we'd like for you to teach sixth grade math. And I thought to myself, well, I I could solve sixth grade math, right? right? OMG brother. That was the, that was the most humbling experience to stand in front of, well, I can't even call it a whiteboard, a chalkboard back then. And, and to teach sixth graders math, it, it, it was not only humbling, but it was enlightening. The fact I, I couldn't teach math and I could solve it. Right. And so I quickly realized, rely on the experienced math teacher. I would go to her every day. Then she would teach me the lesson. And then I would go the next day. I spent my mm-hmm. first year teaching of that of math that's how i did it and so much respect and, and probably the best path as you said i and I, I somehow i ended up because of coaching um they were like we need a science teacher and i'm like well let me start passing some tests so i taught integrated physics biology and chemistry along with speech mm-hmm. speech health and pe many different subjects throughout the year but 
primarily a secondary science teacher. And so when you, when I love how you painted that also when you were in college, not only was it just the English and what was surrounding it, but the fact that you felt like you had a voice and whether our listeners get tired of hearing me say this all the time, I, I think every human being, but students particularly love to feel valued, seen and heard. So when you hear Students want to feel valued, seen, and heard, just like every other human being. What's your first takeaway on that, on helping or making sure students do, just like in that English class, your teacher made you feel valued, seen, and heard? What's your take on that? You are, as an educator, having to go against the mold that students already think about the world, right? You're having to now rewrite the narrative of, of a student because they come in usually having been told that they need to be quiet and they need to listen. Then you being the progressive educator says, Hey, I want to hear from you. And you're going to be met with a lot of silence because they're not used to it. And they've never, a lot of times they haven't been given the opportunity to truly process what their thoughts are and then take their thoughts and put them into words and then actually say them. But it's essential for the growth of not the student, but the human. They need to be able to talk about the things that are going on. I'm a mental health advocate, and it is imperative that high schoolers get to, students in general, people as a whole, talk. Talk through their traumas, talk through their, uh, their situations, and talk with someone that they can trust and also someone that's going to guide them in the right direction. So when I hear about giving students a voice, you have to give them time to learn their voice because they aren't even aware of their own voice. A lot of my students, and I was teaching freshmen all the way up until this year. So they come in from middle school and they step into high school not knowing what to expect. And when they have this teacher, uh, you know, mid 20 black male and I'm charismatic and vibrant and I want to hear from them. They're reluctant because they're like, this isn't real. I this, this is not what I expected. Everything's so new to me. And here's this one new young teacher who wants to hear my voice. Well, what do I sound like? What does that look like? What, what, what if I say the wrong thing? And I start to tell them like, it, there is no right or wrong right now. I just want to hear from you. I want to hear your story. I want to hear your perspective on this. And as they, as I give them this opportunity to speak, it may have gone from, oh, I'm only going to say one thing to, okay, now I've built up a little more confidence in myself to, to say this because I trust my teacher that he's not going to shun me or he's not going to make me feel bad about what I say, but instead he's actually going to hear me and say, wow, I, you know, that was good. I like that. So then they build confidence in themselves. And one thing that I've always told my students is that like, you do have a voice and have to preach that to them often. Like you do have a voice and it does need to be heard. And age does not always equal wisdom. Mm. Right? Like you have a testimony, you have a story and regardless of age or what people around you might say, what you have to say could change someone else's life and it could change the entire world. So I give them that confidence and it's essential that any educator that has students and wants to promote the idea of them having a voice, lets them know that because that might be the only time they've ever heard 
that they have a voice. Wow. That was powerful. I, that your age and experience, right? Because the young lady I was just talking about the other day, she, it was the day before her 12th birthday and, mm-hmm. and the wisdom that she <laughs> partook on and gave us that day, a couple mic drops and Denise, my co-founder and I, we always talk about the student voice. We're so typically used to use listening to adults for answers and ideas. And one of the things as we started going through the work in building communities and classrooms and campuses mm-hmm. is we were always left. We're like, did you hear that student? That was a fourth grader. You know, like right. it, it, it's just, it's mind boggling because we leave the classrooms after building community and modeling some of these GTKY tools the kids would say some of the most profound things and I would be like, write that down. That, like that, that right. came, that came from the, from the, the, the mouth of babes. And, mm-hmm. and it, and it was like you said, we walked away at times learning more from the students than we did that we came there to coach the adults. And, right. and, and here's, and I'm going to be real. I keep it real. Here's the sad part was, is the teachers that were in those classrooms didn't hear it the way we heard it, right? Like it kind of, they heard it, but it didn't hit them like, wow. It hit them like, yeah, yeah, that was good. I'm like, no, like that was profound, you know, from a 10 year old. And so I, I'm with you on that. And that was something that as I reflect for my uh, almost 10 years in the classroom, I don't know. I always tell people, would I be a different teacher? Obviously, knowing today, absolutely. I, I think I, much like you, I was charismatic. I was a coach. I was a teacher. I built relationships. But I don't know if I really ultimately gave and provided a, a safe platform for my students to have a voice. And if I, I look at and if I'm honest with myself, probably the ones that I built a stronger relationship probably felt safer to have that voice. But I can't say uniformly how you're doing it across your entire class. And I love the fact that you are recognizing freshmen. Um, I taught freshmen for IPC at Clemens for many years. And I always try to tell them that first year as a freshman, uh, Freshmen is like a unique kingdom in the animal kingdom of high school. They're they're completely different. <laughs> and so I always joke that because then when I became a middle school principal and I would get sixth graders and they come from elementary and I always tell them they're like big fifth graders. They have one foot in fifth grade and one foot in sixth grade, but they, they're still, yeah. they're still awkward sixth grader. It isn't really till the second semester that they truly establish themselves as sixth graders. And right. I believe that that we, I think that there could be some improvement on the transitioning of kids from elementary to middle and middle to high school. I think there's too mm-hmm. much of the expected of like, okay, because and I will just tell you directly from elementary to middle school, all of a sudden you go from being walked in a line and supervised everywhere to like go to class and here's a locker or here's a schedule. It's total freedom. And I think right. it's too much at first. And then I think, as you said, freshmen, freshmen in a high school see you're a small fish, no pun intended, but you're swimming and you don't know if to swim upstream down. You just want to get out of the way. And I right. think what you said was huge to start empowering at ninth grade at the high school level or at the sixth grade or early in early those in, in the childhood, start teaching them when and how to use their voice 
because mm-hmm. we can all learn from each other. That was profound for me. Thanks for sharing that with me. So, so thinking about that, I, I always love to ask this question. One of our students at the high school, from the high school, stood up at our conference. We have a conference every year. And she told the staff, hey, it, I, I promise you, if we tell you things, because you brought up mental health, and obviously I see the connection with what your mom was in. So when she said, hey, when we use these circles and get to know you tools, don't be afraid to just listen to us. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, you don't need to solve our problems. You just need to listen. And right. I think that's been a common theme for, for a bunch of my guests on here. What is your thoughts in being a passionate about mental health on just not having to speak or, or we feel can you also speak sometimes from the teacher's perspective? I feel like either we're programmed or wired or something that we think when they tell us things that we have to fix it. And, and it's not, and that there's not a simple middle ground of just listening. What are your thoughts on that as a teacher? Uh, I think part of us wanting to fix things is the idea that, okay, we're older, we've experienced things we can help. Right. Or even out of just like our compassion and love for our students, we feel that it is our obligation to to fix what's going on in their life. Uh, because a lot of us take on this role as parents. You know, uh, you spend five days a week and these students are in the, in the school for eight hours a day. That's a, that's a full-time job, right? So we're spending 40 hours a week with students. You take on this role that you think, okay, it's my job to help fix it. And a lot of times we miss it. The... The, the true fix is just being there to listen and hear them out mm. because they don't have a lot of people, specifically those who are adults who actually listen. Uh, a lot of my students will come to my classroom and it'll be, you know, we'll be working on an individual assignment and say, cause I can't talk to you. I'm like, go oh, share. And it has nothing to do with what's going on. As a matter of fact, they just want to like fill me in and, and they just want an open, open ear. I've had a lot of them who, during my conference period, will find me. And I'm like, why? Are you, what, what do you need? Like, I'm, I'm supposed to be planning lessons or I'm chilling, hanging out, right? And they're like, hey, coach, like I talked to my teacher. He says, okay, uh, I really just need, I just need to talk, right? And a lot of this happens specifically with my athletes. It's more than school. Right, and I'm more than a teacher, so my job at that point is to listen. And I might not have an answer, and that's okay. It's okay not to have an answer. As a matter of fact, my answer might just be more questions to help them process it, and then they find the answer themselves through just conversation. My therapist does the same thing. She might not ever actually give me the answer. I need to find the answer for myself, and I'm like, wow, I only needed you to ask me the right question. So I do that too, and it's not about me giving advice. It's helping it's me helping them sort through life and figure out everything on their own. Um, yeah. I love that guy because I think, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. Yeah. No, I, I just like when you said that, because I think when we all struggle emotionally in some form or fashion, don't we all want to talk to somebody? I mean, we want to call right. our mom or our dad or grandma, the big man upstairs, you know, like we all want to, we always just want to talk it out with somebody and, and it may not always to find the answer, but as you pointed out, sometimes it's just getting our job is to either one, ask an additional question to get them reflect, 
to get them to think about it in a different way, to remind them it's not as big, it's not the end of the world. Because I always, you know, particularly in high school, I, I dealt with a lot of relationship questions and I always tried to tell them like, you know, I'm like, I I, I know you think you're going to be with this person forever. Right. Like just, just, and I know those feelings are real, but yeah. So I I think sometimes just guiding them and helping them just, but, but I, I also feel better sometimes if I talk to my therapist and I'm going to own it, I got one too. And I will tell you sometimes she doesn't have to say very much during the entire conversation. It's just me, talk, talk, talk. And then at the end, I'm like, I feel so much better. <laughs> and she just laughs. And she's like, Kevin, I didn't do crap today. And I'm like, that's okay. Yes, you did. You didn't judge you me. Did more. You didn't judge yeah. me. You asked some, some thought-provoking questions. You gave me some things to think about. But seriously, at the end, you just, you just made me feel heard. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. that's, that's all we need. So the second part of what she said the students were being that technology is a huge part. And I'm loving this question at your age right here at 25. All right. She said, and I, and I came up with a quote to paraphrase her, but basically she said, teachers, if you don't build connections with us and she didn't stay it in a threatening way, then why should we content with you? Because ultimately a lot of the answers and content you're giving us, we can look up on our own on the internet. And so I say, I put this quote now in our trainings. If you don't connect with me, why should I content with you? What are your thoughts on that? Man, I think whatever that student said is profound because this is the age of information. I'm in this generation where we're right in the middle of everything, right? I was on dial-up growing up. So I know what AOL and all the noises sound like. And I know what it's like to grow up and know that the YouTube video is going to take an hour to load before I can actually watch all five minutes of it. And I've also grown up in the age of high-speed internet and everything that was in between. So it is a lot easier. Like I grew up reading encyclopedias to find out information. And I'm also in the age where I like, I'll just Google it and it happens. I can ask Siri. I don't even have to type anything, you know? So they, they, they make a good point with saying, why is it that I should even care to listen to what you have to say if I can find out all this information? on my own and that's a humbling it's a humbling statement for any adult specifically an educator to hear because now you're not necessarily essential to that student's like growth you know we're, we're watching a lot of uh entrepreneurs who are high school dropouts become millionaires Right. And they're learning the world of business without having any college experience because everything's online. But one thing that cannot be replaced is the connection that is made between educator and student and the guidance that an educator can provide and the connection that can be made. But that has to that's the only that's that's going to be the, the key ingredient that cannot be made between a student and a YouTuber. Uh, because they're just a viewer and it's just information being dumped on them or an article that they read online. It's just information being dumped on them. When instead I can, as an educator say, okay, now that you have this information, now what are you going to do with it? Let me help guide you in how you can apply these things. But that connection is the first and most important thing because students are realizing, and it's going to a, a time where, Online learning is a very real option. I've actually had students who have 
dropped out of high school, picked up online high school and finished within like six months to a year. You know, they finished with high school at 16. Mm-hmm. And they're like, all right, cool. Well, now I'm, and I, you know, tell them, hey, if you're going to drop out, just please keep in touch with me. Here's my email. And they'll reach out and say, hey, like, now I'm doing this. I'm at the community college or I'm working. And I'm like, wow, like, you really don't need high school education. But in order to better yourself as a human and prepare yourself for the world, you need educators who are going to build connections with you so that you can be a, a couple steps ahead in society and be prepared. But that can only happen if the educator is willing to do that for the students. Now, if an educator walks into the classroom and says, my job is to dump information on you without a connection, then they are no better than an online course. Well said. Yeah, so. No, I think that's well said. I mean, it, I, I was listening to a podcast earlier today, and basically he gave the analogy of like uh, not having to go to college. You should mention all the same points, but I started thinking about what he was saying and what you were saying is, is what we're having to really show kids, our value is not only can we deliver content, we can make connections. We're also a network for you. We have to, they have to look at mm-hmm. teachers as a network. And how we can help you grow, whether that's going to be in an entrepreneur, whether that's going to be into uh, being a chef or cooking. I mean, we're another form of networking is if you really look at it. And I think that totally changes the canvas of educators educators and education. So when I, I, I love hearing the passion behind your voice. And so I, I love asking this simple question. So if we if we believe that relationships should be a priority and should be at the forefront at a majority of our classrooms, then when, what keeps it from happening? Um, I have a, a lot of different theories like state testing, pressure, you know, uh, a lot of different things. But in your opinion, what are the things that are interfering from you as a teacher at 25 years old in an English class in a large high school in San Antonio, Texas? And I'm not asking you to call it your school. I'm saying from your experiences, what keeps relationships and getting to the forefront of that classroom in your opinion? I would say it is the added pressure from, and it works its way down from state to the district, to the administrators, even down to coworkers, because we have put content over connection and we think a lot of time, and it, sometimes it's just put on us that the content is more important than the connection with the student, right? That you have to get them prepared for this test and you have to get them prepared for uh, the SAT or the ACT or, or the STAR test, you know, just to pass a course. But my question is this, and this is where we have to talk. If you ask a student, what made a classroom or an educator memorable, I'm going to bet my entire life on the fact that it is not going to be one lesson that they learned. It is going to be more about the connection that that teacher made with that student that is the most memorable thing. What That, that connection that they had with that educator is going to be what pushed them forward into life and motivated them to do better uh, because there are, I do not remember any of the lessons that my teachers taught me in regard to the content. But I do remember the lessons that they taught me in regard to life. 
Yeah. No, that's well said. I think you you struck a chord with me because I think what you also illustrated is that our approach in education, and, and I'm just going to use this word, I've said it in many trainings, is, is a little archaic. And mm-hmm. the reason I'm calling that is, as long as the state levels continue to press the same state accountability pressures upon us. And as long as you talked about earlier, if the majority of our mindset with our old playbook, forget the year surrounding it is carved out that a majority of the exit ramps for high school students should be four years of college. And in order to make that happen, ACT, SAT, I just feel like we need to create education as a, as a, as a busy highway. Some students are going to be taking that traditional four route for a year route on four lanes, going to ACT, SAT, you know, doing, going to Harvard or going to these large, you know, big schools and, and, and right. even, and, th- and then there's going to be some routes that some kids will exit off and go off to like community college. There's going to be mm-hmm. some, as you said, that are going to graduate at 16 and do it online. There's going to be mm-hmm. some that, ultimately have a baby or a job and they're going to need to do it in an alternative learning center and do a hybrid of two, come in, do a bunch of modules, do some things, but I've got real life kicking in. So I feel like education is is not growing at the rate of the different styles of learning and the different outcomes of where our students could be potentially heading. And we're all trying to shove everybody down the same highway. Right. And when you do that, then I'm not, I'm kind of defending teachers now, then we're still operating as entrance ramps or exit ramps to the educate, the typical traditional education system. So nobody is empowering us as teachers to say, Hey, you know, not all kids are going to be successful. Not all kids are going to pass the test. And it's the opposite. It's like, I know you have uh, 22 kids in here. And uh, eight of the, they may have eight different ramps going on, but they all need to they all need to go out on this ramp and pass these tests and be this success because that's how we're gauged by success in education. So mm-hmm. I, I believe, and that's why I say I feel like if we don't question, I'm going to use the word if we don't question education in in whole and say if you don't if they don't start creating differentiation and pass for allowing teachers to help their students create connections and content and those that need to be that the pass the test, pass the test for those that want to do this pathway, do this way. All of those things are happening. I don't believe we're going to feel, we're not going to trust our leaders, whether that be campus administrators or the organizations that are above us that are, that are really running education. We're not going to trust them because we've learned from them. We've been burned too many times to say, right. oh, I remember I put connections as a priority in my classroom. And then, you know, my principal came in and I got a bad evaluation or, you know, Man. then this happened. Right. <laughs> and, and so they, they're quick. We're quick to abandon it. And this is my philosophy. We're quick to abandon it because there's no accountability surrounding connections. Accountability mm-hmm. is around content, curriculum, attendance, discipline, disproportionality. Right. So we have so many accountability tools, but we lack any accountability when it comes to relationships and connections. Nobody comes into mm-hmm. your class and says, hey, Trevor, uh, you know, how's your scores? How's this? But they don't ever say, hey, how are your connections with your kids? Whoever asked right. that? that? Because it, we, it, we, it we, we, like we, it's put at the bottom. Well, and what's funny though, and this is what, this is why I laugh. And I was very guilty of this as a principal. I will own it at a faculty meeting at the end of the meeting. 
will say, hey, and don't forget to make those connections with those kids, right? At the bottom of the email, it'll say, you know, yeah. every kid, every day, they all matter, right? And that's what I'm trying to say. We love to say the right thing, but then when it comes down to it, central office is coming and you're like, get the poster up, you know, and, and, and yeah. you know, let's, get, let's, let's put up the facade that we're doing everything that we're supposed to because that's mm-hmm. how we get in trouble is when we don't follow those criteria and none of those criteria say, how are you connecting? But yet they'll, they'll say the first thing, as a principal, I've said it to staff, hey, maybe you just need to make better connections with your kids. And so principals will say that. And, I, and what I've loved about working with campuses is that uh, a year ago, a year or two ago in Arlington, I've, I had a principal say, hey, Kevin, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. He said, you know what? I've been a principal for 20 years. And he said, I have been preaching the importance of relationships for two decades what I'm loving about today's training is, is now you're telling us how, like you, you, you filled in the gap because right. I think what happens is in my experience as consulting is we're so busy at like, don't forget to build relationships, but we don't tell you how, and we just mm-hmm. expect it for you to naturally be like Trevor Taylor at 25 who gets it and understands it. And then when the other ones don't, we just tell them, just do it. It's like as a coach, run faster, get stronger, yeah. but we don't tell you how to do it. Does that make sense? No, definitely. And I like that you talked about at the end, like running, right? Become a track coach. And one thing that I'm very big on is form, is how you run. And, you know, I can just like, hey, you might naturally be fast, but if you're not doing it the correct way, you are not reaching your full potential. A lot of teachers in the classroom have the right heart and the right intent, but not the right form. They don't know how to go about it. And they're making some baby steps, but it takes someone who knows what, so it takes someone who knows how to do it to say, this is what needs to be fixed in order to reach your full potential as an educator who can put connections first. One thing that we have struggled with, I think as educators, and you talked about this is as much as we want to make connections, it's not what we're evaluated on. So we're afraid to make connections in fear of losing out on content, which then could result in a possibility of some type of disciplinary action or even losing your job. And that should not be the reality. I have had a few cases where I had an observation and I was pulled in and talked about, you know, and when we talked about maybe how my teaks weren't aligned with exactly what was going on that day. And in my defense, I like my classroom to be free flowing, meaning I have a plan, but that plan is not set in stone. If I feel that something else needs to be discussed, I mean, hey, sorry said, but to hell with the teaks right now, because there is something bigger that needs to be taken care of or handled, or there's a discussion that needs to be had, and that discussion flowed, right? I'm not going to say, okay, high schoolers, I'm sorry that uh, all are learning how to tackle the hardships that life comes on with. We do need to get back into punctuation. Right now, punctuation (laughs) can wait. Well, it's like um, uh, Freedom Riders, right? Is that uh, Aaron? Is it Aaron Bruckowitz? Aaron, right? Uh, Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so here's the deal. But 
that's what what's so amazing is we'll watch a movie like Freedom Riders where this crazy English teacher comes into the ghetto, right? White girl comes <laughs> yeah. in there and, and just, but transforms her class. And if we watch it, we're like, that is so unorthodox. And that does not meet teaks and all that other stuff. But now we're like, she's amazing, right? And here you are, Trevor, being the own version of, of your Freedom Riders, right? But just doing something a little bit times out the box. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm not even condemning the administrators that are holding us accountable for that. I, I feel like we know in our heart of hearts what we should be doing. But I, I will tell you, as an administrator, as a principal whose name is on that campus report that comes back with that mm -hmm. scores, that pressure is real. And, right. and as long as, and this is what I'm saying, as long as the agencies continue in the same pathway and hold our campus or districts in which hold our campus leaders to those same accountability scores and, 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 and standardized testing, and that's all we focus on, our principals and campus administrators won't have the freedom to mm -hmm. give you the power, empower you to do what you need to do in the classroom because they're scared crapless that their job is on the line. Right. It's a trickle down effect. And, I, mm -hmm. and so again, I'm not even attacking campus administrators, teachers. I'm just bringing it to light that if we don't start putting accountabilities and connections into some type of a, if we don't start putting connections and relationships and surrounding it with some type of accountability, then it's all just talk, right? Mm -hmm. It's all just talk. And so I will tell you, the, the, the questions that you've been able to respond to today and the insight that you've been able to give to me has enlightened me. So as we're starting to wrap up this, this, this time together, I want you to just think if you had a message for educators out there right now, some advice, some strategies, some ideas on how to make some of these things happen, despite the circumstances that we're in, what would be just a quick message to those educators since you've got this platform in their ear? With the world that we are in right now, you know, uh, with having to approach learning in a completely new manner, being remote and, you know, being via Zoom calls, Google Classroom, it is going to be, this is uncharted territory, right? It's going to take a lot of work on our end, on administrations, and to figure out how this is going to work. But one thing that we cannot forget is that our students are, are, they are humans first, meaning that they have a life outside of our classroom and that they're going to deal with hardships and situations and stresses and mental illnesses. And our job is not solely to teach content. It is to make a relationship with the student where they can feel that the content is that the content is just a plus, it's a bonus to the connection that they've already made with you as an educator. They should not walk in and be, they're not going to be excited about the content all the time. But one thing that they should be looking forward to is being in your presence, being able to talk with you, uh, to, to hear from you and smile with you. And it might not happen every day, right? That's not the reality. But it is important that your students do look forward to seeing you I teach English. That is not a lot. Most students hate English. It is their least favorite subject. It is a subject where, as a nation, we struggle the most in. But my students love coming every day. And that's mm -hmm. because of the connection I've made with them, where they are actually willing to try harder at English 
because of their love and appreciation for me as an English teacher. And the effort that I put towards them is reciprocated in the effort that they put towards the class. So as an educator, as educators, our job is to make that connection with the student so that the content is simply a bonus that we have. Wow. You know, Trevor, I told you when we started this episode today, I was so excited to learn not just who you were as a person, but to hear your words. And I will tell you, um, I am double your age, brother, but you have part, you have given me so much wisdom today and your insight and the way that you're thinking. I couldn't be more proud to just call you a fellow educator and thank you for seeing, I think, thank you for wanting to come back to your own campus and recognizing the difference that a teacher of color could make in a community like Wagner, because I know the community well. But in addition to that, I just, I'm, I'm so impressed by your ability to see past the pressures that are put on us by typical educators and that you are finding in four years, you finding a strong foothold of who you are and who you're going to be for yourself and for your students. And my takeaway from today's conversation is that word that you mentioned earlier, and I, reciprocal. I, I believe that if, if educators could take one message from today is, as you said earlier, if we're worried about why aren't I connecting with them, look in the mirror, because if you, it starts with you, your vulnerability your PowerPoint, your ability to connect with kids. If we could start there, it's kind of like the wheel spinning. And if we could just start, if you, but you got to start it. You can't expect it to come from them. You're the adult and they're going to learn from you. And the more you model connecting with them and they feel safe and you continue to do that and build those connections in your classroom, how can you not make a difference no matter what the age or the content that you're teaching in today's kids? So Trevor, I want to thank you for being on the show today. Learned a whole lot. Um, we always love to just not only thank you, but thank our listeners. I believe that as educators tune in, even if it's just one educator for one episode, we're hoping that you take one tool, one idea, one strategy back to your campus to make one difference, then our time together was worth it. Um, I want you to continue to put relationships first and we'll, we'll connect with you next time. Lastly, I want to thank you, the listener, the educator, the difference maker. Your time is valuable. I see time as an investment. And I want to thank you from the center of my heart for making it to the end of this episode. But please don't let this be the end of our relationship. If you have the same passion for putting relationships and connections at the center of all learning, then I need you to subscribe and share this podcast with other like-minded educators. It would be extremely helpful if you would leave a review or a comment on what you loved about the episode, or better yet, tell me what you want to hear about more in the future. This way, other educators that are searching for impactful podcasts can get a sense of what this show can offer them. You see, my hopes and prayers are that you were able to find one strategy or one idea that you could take back to one classroom to make a difference for one kid. Thanks for keeping relationships first, and we'll connect with you next time.